Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Sean, and it is lovely to see each and every one of you here at Mayflower. Those of us who I can see your smiling faces here this morning, and those of us joining virtually as well, welcome. If you're a visitor with us, I'd warmly invite you to stop by the Welcome Center. We have a gift for you. You might get some really delicious free cookies. And uh, we'd love to give you a, uh, so a gift of our a small token of welcome. And uh, if you would, please press the friendship registers that are there in the middle of your aisle. Particularly if you're a guest, we'd love to have some contact info if you're comfortable with that. Now, I'd like to invite you to uh, greet one another with the traditional exchange of peace. The peace of Christ be with you. Let us share God's peace with one another. Good morning. Christmas Eve is this Saturday. I cannot believe it is upon us. We are going to have three services that day. We have a four o'clock family service, a five o'clock outdoor nativity with live animals, and then the 10 p.m. carols and candles. New to our services at four o'clock and five o'clock this year are the Salvation Army Band. And as a way to invite people this year, we thought we would do something different. So we have yard signs. So if you would like to pick up a yard sign and put it in the two feet of snow that we got yesterday, that would be great. I thought we were so cutting edge doing these, and then I went downtown. Two other churches are doing the same thing. So get a yard sign, put it out in your yard, and invite your friends and neighbors. Mayflower Preschool is hosting their open house on January 12th. Mayflower Preschool has been in this building since 1968. They are an amazing organization, and so we invite you to invite your friends and neighbors to check them out. If you have done the reverse Advent calendar and have bags of groceries sitting at home, please feel free to bring those with you anytime this week before Christmas Eve. The office is open from 8 to 4. Thank you.
Good morning. During this Advent reading and candle lighting, please note that we will all speak together the words in bold and sing together the response in your bulletin. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. On this fourth Sunday in Advent, we begin lighting the love candle as we wait for God's love coming to us. The day of God's joy is coming soon. We live in God's peace and hope. Christ is our light. By grace he came. In power he rose. We wait for Christ to come again. From Bethlehem shall come forth the one who will rule in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient days. He shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. They shall live secure, for he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be the one of peace. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Be present with us, God, throughout the Advent season as we live and worship in our wait for the one who is the world's light.
Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, you are the one who made the heavens and the earth, and you are the one who executes justice for the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. You set the prisoners free, you open the eyes of the blind, and you lift up the lowly. Come in love to the poor and the humble. We wait for your love to set our world free from the captivity of sin. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. During this Advent season, as we all wait together and we prepare together, let us confess our sins together as found in your bulletin. Merciful God, always with us, always coming, we confess that we do not know how to prepare for your Advent. We have forgotten how to hope in miracles. We have ignored the promise of your kingdom. We get distracted by all the busyness of the season. Forgive us, God. Grant us the simple wonder of the shepherds, the intelligent courage of the Magi, and the patient faith of Mary and Joseph, that we may journey with them to Bethlehem and find the good news of a child born for us. Now, in the quiet of our hearts, we ask you to make us ready for his coming. Amen. Sisters and brothers, we are a forgiven people, so be at peace. Amen. Please be seated.
Frozen in the snow lie roses sleeping. Flowers that will echo the sunrise. Fire of hope is our only warmth. Where its flame will be dying soon. I'd like to invite all our children worshiping to come forward for the children's message. This morning's Advent candle is love. And we are going to see if you can guess what's in the box to represent love. And we're going to play Name That Tune. That is a game where I give you notes and you have to guess what the song is from the notes that I sing. And we're going to start with three notes. Do you think you can do it? All right, we'll see. You ready? Dun, dun, dun. No. <laughs> jingle bells. Jingle bells. 
Jingle Bells. Did you know Jingle Bells is a number one song in the United States and throughout the world? And that it wasn't created because of Christmas. It was created because of horses. Horses in the winter pull sleighs. And back before there were cars, that's how people would get around. Well, when a horse is pulling a sleigh through the snow, you can't hear them. It's all very quiet. So in order to keep people safe, they started putting jingle bells around the horses so that people could hear them coming. So when a horse is coming up behind you with a sleigh going super fast... This is what you would hear. And this is a real sleigh bell from some real horses that someone owns in our congregation. So it got me thinking. Bells are such a part of Christmas. And what if our voices could be the jingle bell of love? That our words that we say can always bring God's love. So that when any time someone hears your voice, they know that something kind and good and loving is going to come from you. I think that would be a wonderful goal for us all to have, for everyone's voice to be that love of God. So to remind us, to remind all of us, there are jingle bells in the atrium for everyone to take after service, to take home, put it on your keychain, put it on your dresser, anywhere you want, your backpacks. And every time it rings, think, is my voice being God's love? Will you pray with me, please? Lord, we are so thankful for your love for us, that it came in the form of a baby, and that we get to have this time together to celebrate and anticipate, and to just be a part of it. We ask this all in your name. Amen. All right, friends. For dismissal, if you are in the little person's choir, that means you're a a three-year-old, a four-year-old, a five-year-old, and in kindergarten, first and second grade, you can stand up. And you are going to go to Sunday school and take your robes all my other choir friends you are going to stand up and you are going to go back to your rows The reading this morning comes from Luke, chapter 1, verses 39 through 55, and can be found beginning on page 724 in your pew Bible. Beginning at verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, 
where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he said to our fathers, the word of the Lord. Now it's the time of year for Christmas songs and some Christmas songs are lighthearted, you know, think Frosty the Snowman, seasonal songs, uh, like we heard Jingle Bells, right? And then when it comes to Christmas songs, there's the classic hymns, Hark the Herald, Joy to the World. We know these, right? And in that latter category is a hymn called O Holy Night. Now, you probably know it, right? It starts, O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. You, you humming it in your head right now? <laughs> it's a great song. Actually, it was translated into English in 1855, just before the Civil War, and it was translated from the French into English by a Christian abolitionist. But you might not know that detail because there's a third verse that too often gets skipped. The third verse of O Holy Night goes like this. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break for the slave is our brother. And in his name all oppression shall cease. Did you catch that? Pretty radical message. Today's sermon is about another song, often called the Magnificat. Now, we heard it read. It's a song that's sung by a pregnant Mary. But before we get to her song, let's quickly get up to speed on what happened so far before she sang it. We heard of Elizabeth. She was the wife of a priest. She's postmenopausal. She's barren. But the angel of the Lord appeared to her husband and said that she would be pregnant with a baby who would grow up to be John the Baptist, 
He would prepare the way for the Messiah. Well, Mary, she was a poor teenager engaged to a man named Joseph. And although she was a virgin, the angel came to her and told her that she would conceive. That her baby would be the true king, the son of God. The angel told her relative Elizabeth, the angel told her that her relative Elizabeth was also miraculously pregnant. Well, Mary accepts this calling, and so she sets out for Elizabeth. And and these two, Mary and Elizabeth, meet out in the middle of nowhere. This is the first time that John the Baptist and Jesus meet before they're even born. John leaps in the womb, right? Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and speaks words from God himself. She says, Mary is blessed. Mary believed God's promises to her and that the baby is the Lord himself. So here we are and we get to Mary's song. And it's a bit surprising. This song that she sings tells us that the coming of Jesus brings a new order to the world. With Mary's baby, God is doing something huge. He is decisively changing the way the world works. So today I'd like us to think about what this new order is and then who God uses to bring it. So first we ask, what is this new order that Mary's singing about? Well, the new order is the kingdom of God. But to really understand this song, we have to understand Mary's situation. She is a poor nobody. She would have had to give birth in filth and dirt. She actually had to upend her life and travel for a census that was ordered from on high that would just make taxation easier for those in power. She would have to seek asylum in Egypt because of the murderous policies of Herod, the dictator. She lived in a land that had been under foreign occupation for almost 600 years, most recently by the Romans. She lived in the fringe of this empire, and the rulers of that region, Herod, Pontius Pilate, they were known for their casual brutality. In her world, when things would go bad because of a drought or a famine, everyone would have to borrow food at terrible interest rates, like 20, 30, 40% just to borrow food to survive. She lived in a world where taxation was ridiculous, unbearably high and deeply unjust. She lived in a world where people felt like they're being crushed by the powers that were over them. So coming out of that world, Mary's song, she sings about a new kingdom. God is doing something different with that baby in her. That old order, the order she lived under, was being overthrown. The salvation that Jesus brings is going to change everything. Sin would be overcome. Poor and oppressed people would be liberated from their poverty and their oppression. Mary's singing of the expectation of a broken world being transformed into the kingdom of God. 
Now today, particularly here in the United States, we tend to have a division between what we might call religion and the real world. A line between the sacred and the secular. Between the spiritual and the material. And as we listen to Mary's song, we're reminded that those things can't be separated. When Jesus comes to bring a new order, it's not just for our inner religious lives. It's for all of human existence. The kingdom he brings is better and more just for suffering people. So when Mary sings this song about salvation, she's not just talking about what's going on in her own soul. She's talking about what is going on in the world. Because salvation is both spiritual and material. It's both body and soul. And for down and out people like her, oh, that's good news. Shepherds, subsistence farmers, day laborers, people like that, they get lifted up. They get filled. They're not going to be hungry anymore. They're going to have dignity. They're going to be set free from their oppression. But the oppressors, the proud, they are scattered, Mary sings. The powerful are knocked off their thrones. The rich are dismissed as nothing. In the kingdom of God, the lowly are lifted up. The high and the proud are laid low. And it's important to see how this happens. For God's people, for Mary, this salvation is not the work of some universal force of history. What she's singing about here is not the product of one of our political ideologies or movements. This is the direct intervention of God. He'll step in and save the poor and the humble. Mary sings that things have changed right there with her baby. With her baby, who when he grew up would say, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. This is not some detached spiritual truth. This is Mary's kid bringing the kingdom of God. Well, Jesus comes and changes things in the world. He frees us from our sins. He rearranges all of our relationships, both in our families and in society. He brings liberation from the sins that are inside of us and the sins outside of us that crush us. Sins like oppression and poverty. His new order will clash with the old. And he will overcome. Pretty radical, right? Now, there are some historic suggestions that Mary's song, the Magnificat, was banned and discouraged from public place usage in Guatemala and in India during the British rule. Now, when you dig into the history, it's not exactly clear what happened, but it's very easy to see how this song would be threatening. It's revolutionary. This song was a threat to 19th century slave owners in America, for example. 
Those in power could easily see how dangerous it would be for the poor and the oppressed to hear these lyrics. Because the kingdom of God is not safe for the proud and the powerful, but it really is good news for the poor. And that brings us to our second point, which is about who God uses to bring this new world order. And God does something unexpected. He uses people like Mary to bring his kingdom. Notice that her song is not some philosophical treatise. It's not some statement of abstract principles. No, like any good song, it's a song that comes from somewhere. It's her own voice. The song of her story as she pours out her souls. Pours out her soul. And she starts off on a personal note, so let's begin there. She starts off with how joyful she is. God's doing great things for her even though she didn't deserve it. So let me offer a bit of an analogy here. Have you ever met one of your heroes? Have you ever carried a smile all day long because they spoke to you? This happened to me during my Ph.D. studies. Uh, There's a scholar called N.T. Wright, and he's really one of the best New Testament scholars alive right now. Uh, His first year as a professor in St. Andrews, Scotland, was my last year there as a Ph.D. student. And he'd written a short chapter in one of his books about a topic I was working on. So I emailed him. I very sheepishly asked him a question about something he wrote. And he responded by offering to meet me for lunch. Well, I agreed to that very quickly. And when that day came, he sat and listened to my ideas, asked some probing questions. Now, he wasn't my Ph.D. supervisor. He didn't owe me anything. He's a very busy man, but he took the time and he offered some encouragement. And I was brimming for a week with positivity after that. So if a theology nerd like me could beam from a conversation with a top scholar, I think we can begin to see why someone like Mary would gush from the depths of her soul because the God of the universe came to her and did something amazing. She's joyful. She gives praise to God for what he's done in this specific situation. Mary's understood how big of a deal this is. She's she's a nobody, but generations will call her blessed. It's been 400 years of silence up until then from God. Four centuries, no prophet has spoken. And even further, there's no glorious temple anymore no promised messiah just rome oppressing them so when god breaks his silence who is it to it's not to the temple leaders it's not to a priest or a prophet or a politician he speaks to a peasant he speaks to a woman living under patriarchy He speaks to a poor, knocked-up teenager. In fact, she's probably somewhere between 12 and 15 years old. She's very vulnerable. If Joseph abandons her, she'll be ruined socially and financially. She's about the lowest of the low you can get. 
She's not someone who gets noticed. She doesn't matter. Important things don't happen to people like her. Well, the next part of the song is about how God treats those who fear him. Mary has a very unique role, of course, but she's not in a class by herself. She stands in a long line of faithful Israelites, many of whom are women. And ultimately, if you remember in the song, she connects her faith back to Abraham. But her faith doesn't just point backwards. Others can be like Mary. And God like, treats those like her with favor and grace. That's the sort of people God works through. The song suggests that even the readers of Luke's gospel can be included in her song. In fact, it means that even you and I can be included. We enter into this song. Mary's words become ours as we sing along. It's like a Broadway musical. You've seen a Broadway musical, right? And often before the end of the first act, not always, but uh, often there's this song that starts with just the lead character. Often there's just a spotlight on them and they're, they're singing quietly and then gradually it builds and then another voice enters and then another. And then the whole cast is eventually come in and they're blasting it out to the rafters. They join in with the song. And we join in with Mary's song. Now, why do we do that? Because we Christians know what it's like to be rejected by the world. We know what it means to be humble before God. We know what it means to have nothing. Even if we're not poor ourselves, we identify with the poor. We know how much need, need that we have. Another important point is that this song is about status. God has a way of reversing things. He elevates up the humble and humbles the elevated. Now, we sitting in this room today have a variety of stations, but if we're going to speak frankly, I think it's fair to say that most of us have a pretty good status. Most of us are educated. Most of us are the working professional type. I mean, you know your friends, you know your brothers and sisters. There are some pretty good careers in this room, right? We're mostly middle class or higher. And so for folks like us, there's a danger, and I include myself in this. There's this seductive idea that our status in life shows that God favors us. Now, we wouldn't say it out loud. We might not even think it consciously, but it can be easy to slip into this idea. I've made something of myself, and I've achieved, and God has rewarded me for it. That's, that's not how it works. Now, we might not have a lowly status like Mary, but we are called to have a humble spirit like her. You might think of the Apostle Paul as another example here. Right? He's very well educated. He's a lawyer. He's on track to become on the highest court of the land in his day. He had power and status, but when he became a Christian, he became humble like Mary. So listen. I want to say that God could use you. In fact, he wants to use you. 
but not because you're impressive or talented or connected. No, God has a way of using the humble. But maybe you have a different problem. Maybe you feel like you're not trained enough or good enough. You don't know enough about the Bible. You're worried that someone might ask you a question that stumps you. Or maybe you think, I don't have years of serving in the church and leading ministries. Maybe you don't feel like you're a good public speaker. Maybe you don't feel like you have a whole lot to offer. Well, listen, Mary didn't have a whole lot to offer. And look what God did through her. Because either way, when it comes to who God will use, it's not about who has power. It's about who is humble enough to be overshadowed by God's power. Well, we're here in Advent, a season of preparation. And what does Mary's song teach us about that? Of course, only she gets to give birth to the Savior of the world, but God can still use us. He can use us to bring about the new order of the kingdom of God. So when we Christians fight against modern day slavery, we're singing Mary's song. When our church includes both the rich and the poor, and they're treated as equals, we're humming her tune. When believers love those in poverty and work for their well-being and dignity, we're joining in with Mary's gospel number. So brothers and sisters, this morning, I invite you, join your hearts and your lives to sing Mary's song along with her. She sings, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Amen.
In your bulletin, you'll find the Apostles' Creed. And we'll speak together this ancient summary of the truths of our Christian faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into the dead. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. It is said that love is the greatest of all virtues on the Advent wreath, as it encompasses Jesus's entire purpose for being here on earth. How often in life do we look for our purpose, our reason for being here, our reason for existing? Living in God's love gives us purpose because his love has power, the power to heal, the power to make change, the power to bring peace. May this last week of Advent be filled with purpose as we prepare for the greatest gift, God's love in a tiny baby born in a manger.
Let us pray. Precious God, as we close our eyes and bow our heads, may we breathe in your love. May we feel the wonder and the magic of Christmas all around us. This is a season that is filled with your beauty, the stillness in the snow, the lights on the trees, the singing of children. All these moments fill our hearts so full that we look around us for ways to give and share this beauty with others. May we take this Christmas season into every day of our lives and be inspired to always live in this beautiful way. In Jesus' name, amen. And now continuing in that wonderful spirit of prayer that Rachel began for us, I would invite you to join your hearts and voices with me and your minds as well as we pray together as a congregation. God of us all, your love never fails. When all else in our world seems to influx and change, you are still the God who created us and who sustains us every day of our life. We pray together this morning for your peace and justice to flow out not only in our own nation, but in the world. We pray especially this morning for the people of the Ukraine who are living in an unjust war. We think of persons who suffer physically and mentally and those who are marginalized, those who suffer in so many ways because they're homeless, they're poor, they're underemployed or unemployed. And those persons are many of them right in our own city and in our own country. Together on this Sunday morning, we join with Christians throughout the world who gather to worship you, that we may know a sense of kinship and our common search of how to follow you to live our lives more faithfully. We pray specifically for this congregation, for our church, for Mayflower Church, that as we worship and serve, we might be faithful to our ministry and mission. Give us a spirit of boldness as we reach out to our community and to the world. Father, each one of us prays individually this morning for your forgiveness, for the way in which we have failed to be the man or woman you've created us to be. But we are not a hopeless people, but a joyfully forgiven people, knowing that you do indeed forgive us as we ask for that forgiveness. So our prayer in this Advent season, as we look forward to the celebration of the miracle of your coming into the world in your son, Jesus. We are looking forward to the fact that we would have in our hearts the joy of the angels, the wonder of the shepherds, the wisdom of the wise men in both our hearts and our minds. We await your coming in hope and in anticipation.
And now may we conclude our time of prayer, praying together the perfect prayer, the prayer that Jesus found us, taught us. It's the Lord's Prayer, and it's printed in your bulletin. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
May God, the Almighty and Merciful, bless you by the light of Christ's coming and enrich your lives with every grace. May God make you steadfast in faith, joyful in hope, and untiring in love all the days of your life. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. To whoever God has called you this week, go in love. The Christ is coming. We wait in love. Thanks be to God.